format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers, followed by our information break, and then our main speaker, who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Megan. I almost got up here and waved, so clearly I haven't done this before. Uh, my name is Megan. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is July 18th, 2017, and I'm a member of the Atlantic Group. Sung, thank you so much for asking me to share. Uh, before I get started, I just want to say this program works. Uh, everything good in my life and my ability to see it that way, uh, I owe to this program. So. Uh, whether you're new or not, I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous tonight. Uh, that idea of feeling welcome is really important to me because I never did or I never felt that way. Uh, I always felt, uh, I always wanted to belong and feel a part of, but that just seemed to feel out of reach. Uh, I grew up with kind of that anxious apartness that we talk about here. That otherness, that feeling separate, that feeling lonely in a group of people, and I had a deep sense of self-loathing and uh, a voice inside my head, what I think of as my early alcoholism, that was telling me things like, what a loser, you're ugly, how stupid, no one likes you, like, why bother? And. That's painful, I'm sure, for anyone to experience, but certainly when you're in second grade. And so I started to do two things. I started to escape my life, my thoughts, my feelings. And uh, at that time, I did it by uh, reading constantly so I can disappear into the lives of other people. Uh, and I started to erase myself because something about me just wasn't right. And maybe that was the way I looked, the, my name, the way my voice sounded, what I liked. Uh, so I thought if I could pretzel myself into someone you would like, then I would be okay. Uh, and when I got to high school and found alcohol, both of those things became much easier. You know, I took a drink and suddenly, all of that self-consciousness, that preoccupation with what I thought you were thinking about me, you know, having a conversation with you but standing outside of myself, wondering like, oh, does he notice my nose is so big? I think, you know, my top, I should have worn something different or, you know, that was lame. I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should say this and he's going to go home and he's going to laugh about me too. You know, I was never present. How could I connect with anyone if it was so in my head? And alcohol quieted that really well. And suddenly I was someone who was fun and funny and pretty and outgoing and everything I thought I wasn't. Now the problem with alcohol is that, as I learned here, I have a physical allergy. If I take one drink, I can't control how many I have after that and where the night goes. So by the time I was a junior in high school, I was a blackout drinker, and by the time I was a I got to college, my drinking looked something like this. Uh, it was St. Patrick's Day, and my friends were celebrating, and they were going to a bar at 7 a.m. <laughs> uh, I had to work, of course, I had to work at 1 p.m., and I thought, oh, that's six hours in between. This is no problem. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go right at 7, and I'm going to have one drink. No, as we know, it's never one drink. The next thing I remember, I'm being escorted out of my job. I was a greeter at Abercrombie at the time. Uh, 
and uh, apparently um, the customers had complained that some woman in the front of the store was going up to them completely intoxicated. <laughs> now, I've experienced so many miracles in this program, but one of them is that I can stand up here in front of all of you and tell that story. Because for 15 years after it happened, I didn't speak a word of it to anyone. And until a couple years ago, I couldn't tell that story without crying. Because I had so much shame. Like, I wasn't someone that was raised to show up drunk at work and get fired. I never aspired to be someone that showed up drunk at work and got fired. But that was exactly the kind of woman I had become as a result of my drinking. Uh, 13 years later, I found you and Alcoholics Anonymous. And at that time, I was actually four years sober from alcohol. And that's how I know for me, that the way I drank is not the only problem I have. Because I came in here and I was dying. Alcohol had been my solution. That was the solution to all of my problems. The way I experienced my life, the way I thought, the way I felt, those were my problems. Uh, and you took that away and I had nothing. So I spent the next, those four years kind of circling the drain, just trying to get by. Thank you. Uh, and then I came here, and uh, I had been kind of rotting from the inside out for a long time, but it had started to show. And I hated myself from a very early age, but I definitely hated myself. The person I had become as a result of my drinking and the way my life had just gone so far off course. Like, how, did, how is this where I'd ended up? Someone with so much promise and then you know, that's where I found myself. But we come here and we're promised a spiritual transformation, which is incredible if we work the steps. And that's exactly what I have found. Um, you know, I have a special place in my heart for steps six and seven because it helped me realize that so many of the behaviors that I had adopted you know, the gossiping about others, the competing and comparing, the constant judging, those weren't really me. That was just, those were things I, tools I'd used to survive all of that time because, you know, perceived or real, I just felt this weight of less than-ness that I just couldn't, that was my only recourse, was to find a way to tear you down so I could bring myself up just a bit. So over the course of the steps, you know, I chipped away at all of those things that weren't me, and by the end, you introduced me to who I really was, and that is actually someone I really like. So that is a miracle. To take the person, nothing changed. I didn't change my hair color, my job, where I grew up, what I'm interested in, nothing. My exteriors didn't change at all. The only thing that changed was my perception of who I was and my life. And I could give you a million other examples of that, but I'm just going to tell, probably if I have time, one more story. Um, uh, several months ago, I was on a trip with my mom, and I was sitting by the pool, and a thought came into my head, and that thought was, what a loser. How are you this old and you're still vacationing with your parents? <laughs> and, you know, that thought spiraled as mine do, and it was like, 
you know, all of your friends, they have families, they have significant others, your siblings who are younger than you have like moved on and graduated in life. And then here you are on vacation with your mom. And the next thought that came in was, how amazing. This is like bonus time. If I had been in a relationship all these years, and how could I have been? You heard how I drank. Uh, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have spent so much time with my parents. You know, I wouldn't have gotten to know them as real people like I did during COVID when I was home. And I wouldn't have gotten to live with them, you know, after I was in high school and show up and be of service and kind of live as a sober woman and show them that I've changed. And, you know, what a gift. And I'm so grateful that I can see it that way. Ah, because again, you know, that was my biggest problem was the way I saw the world. And Alcoholics Anonymous has completely transformed that for me. And I'll be forever grateful. And what that does, and I'm sure people in here can relate to that idea of wanting to be a part of, that idea of being able to connect with others. Thank you. Ah, I thought before I came up here I was going to have to tap dance across the stage or tell a funny story so maybe you'd like me or tell a horrible story from when I was drinking so maybe you'd feel sorry for me and then you'd care. But the real lesson for me has been that I don't need to do any of that. Like how freeing for me to be able to get up here and just tell, share my experience and for have that to be enough. So thank you so much for letting me share. So our second 10-minute speaker is Andrew. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm al an alcoholic. Hi, Atlantic Group is my home group, and my sobriety date is January 17th of 2022. Um, I want to thank Daniel for um, asking me to speak today, and um, thank my sponsor, John Paul, for you know, everything he's done for me. It's been a great gift. Um, so, starting from the beginning, I'd say my first drink was early high school, sophomore year. Uh, didn't really drink alcoholically in high school. You know, went to parties, hosted a party at my house when my parents were away and had a lot of upperclassmen come over and I thought it was really cool. And, uh, but, College was a different story. Uh, you know, I followed my friends uh, into a fraternity. Didn't really see myself as, you know, quote unquote frat guy, but um, just kind of followed the crowd and, uh, you know, was off to the races and um, just picked up a lot of bad habits. Uh, you know, I used to tell people, like, I never really had an urge to drink. I drank socially, but I've amended that statement to be, uh, I'll get an urge as soon as I have that first drink, because uh, that's true. Every time I had a drink, or most times I should say, I had issues stopping and, you know, blacked out a lot, 
got written up a handful of times by RAs my freshman year of college. Uh, my first day of my sophomore year, my dad dropped me off, you know, to start my to start the year. I went to you know one of my frats off campus houses for a party, overdrank. My friends tried to get me back into my, my dorm. You know, I drew the one of the RA's attention. They called an ambulance. Uh, you know, my mom ended up coming up that same day, uh, three-hour trip, you know, the same day my dad dropped me off. And um, I think that one day uh, sums up, like, not only my, you know, experience drinking, but also, like, what I put my, like, parents and family and, you know, anyone who, like, cared about me through. Um, and so I got kicked off campus uh, that, you know, from that incident and uh, end of sophomore year, uh, spring weekend, um, my friends offered to let me sleep in their dorm. I shouldn't have been anywhere near dorms because I was kicked off campus and that was part of the, uh, you know, sentencing and I ended up um, being stubborn and um, passed out in the lobby of my friend's dorm, woke up like two in the morning to my RA's, uh, asking who I was, gave them my ID, and uh, you know that led to me being uh, suspended my first semester of my junior year. And uh, you know when I got back, I was able to fortunately take classes over winter break, summer break of my junior year, and was really like lucky to graduate on time. And I kind of like held that as a badge of honor. Like, oh, I can like, I think, in the back of my head, I, I thought like, oh, I can just like do whatever I want, and like my work ethic will just like allow me to just like make make up for it, and that's just like who I am. Like the rules don't apply to me, and just was really like arrogant uh, in that way, and uh, just really just carried those bad habits and just horrible thinking into my post college life, and just never grasped that like college isn't the real world I, I it's like college is just kind of like a vacuum where you can have a lot of fun and um hopefully learn a thing or two from your classes obviously <laughs> but um yeah i just I, I just always thought it was just life was just one big party and i was going to do what what i wanted to do when i wanted to do had issues with you know self-esteem anxiety depression on and off since i was i'd say in middle school and you know that <clears throat> combination of that with just, uh, you know, my drinking, <clears throat> excuse me, was, it was just a toxic mix and uh, just continued to do the same things, you know, over drank at bars, got kicked out of bars, you know, uh, one time, uh, you know, woke up in Bellevue and, you know, didn't remember how I got there and um, thank you. And yeah, just, uh, you know, made decisions I thought I would never do. Um, kind of rewind uh, to elementary school. I remember a dare officer coming and saying, like, a percentage of you would will end up like drinking and driving. And I thought, like, no, that would that wouldn't be me. That's like someone else. But um, you know, that's part of my story. It just ties into just doing what I wanted and just uh, completely checking out as soon as I had that first drink and racked up 
uh, three DUIs uh, and ended up serving three months in county jail, three months in rehab uh, about four years ago. And luckily, I one thing I was lucky for, you know, when I was in the county jail was there were AA meetings once a week and people from the outside would come and hold meetings. And I was just really impressed by that and that did a lot for me. And, um, you know, a lot of other lucky things went my way. You know, my, my boss at the time um, that I got my third DUI, he did a lot to help bring me back to my, my position I had um, at work. Um, I was able to get a job at another company after my six-month sentence. Um, luckily, I think the pandemic helped with that because, like, background checks were delayed, and I think the, the the rules in New Jersey for DUIs are a little bit more lean, lean in certain ways than other states. And um, I think the fact that that worked out, and you know, my original company saw that I was able to get that position, looked impressive to them, and I was able to just go back to my original position. And it's just like a miracle how things worked out that way. Um, and then once I, you know, got back to my original position, um, I was basically living dry. Uh, I'd been going to meetings for several years, was, you know, hadn't touched a drink, but uh, really wasn't happy, was really stressed, thought I was doing everything like I could to just manage my stress and anxiety. I was working out, going to meetings, but not like getting to know anybody and not really sharing all that much. And I ended up going out for a three-month stretch at the end of 2021. And I think there were a couple instances that I think woke me up one was, you know, I was just like watching a football game like in my apartment and, you know, I was drinking and um, I just like slipped and fell like right on my, on my rear end. Um, like that, that was kind of like a wake up call. It's like, you know, it kind of like really woke something up inside of me. And I, and I was thinking like, what am I doing? Like everything I've been through, the fortune I've been able to have, like I, I live in New York City, like what am I doing? I'm just gonna like throw everything away. And then um, another thing was, that was really eye-opening was when I decided to start changing meetings and stop, like, not going to the same ones. Like the first time I did that, like I heard a, a share where the person who was qualifying had some really low bottoms and he summed me up and basically said something to the effect of like, if you're just going to meetings, not talking to anyone, and leaving right when they end, and you're not feeling better, like, no no wonder. And, like, um, you know, that was, like, the white light moment, and I decided to get a sponsor a couple of days later. That was, like, about three months ago, and things have been just really um, a lot better since. Like, day-to-day -day life is a lot more manageable, and uh, thank you and having just a whole network that's like readily available if you reach out whether that's you know hopping on the phone or just talking to people at meetings before and after or doing fellowship it's just i'd heard all that before but like it just didn't something just didn't click and just once i kind of dove in i just um you know it was just really apparent that like that this is like the way for me and 
it's uh, I'm just really blessed to um, be in the position I'm in and um, like I, I consider myself like actually living now like before I was just existing and um, just really fortunate uh, with how everything shaped up and I think the last thing I'll say is like um, you know one thing that guides me um, among a lot is that like it would just be an insult to go back to my old lifestyle like after everything that's kind of worked out for me it would just be an insult to people in the program, my family, my employer, and, you know, that tries me, and um, I'm just really, really grateful um, I had the opportunity to share my story tonight and that I have this program, so thank you. Our main speaker tonight is Deborah. Hi, I'm Deborah. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Deborah. Do I have to wait for the Sorry, yeah. mic adjustment? You have to wait. That's okay. <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm Deborah. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Preacher, thank you for asking me to speak. It's truly an honor. And it's also my anniversary month. So I know it's not anniversary night, but on the 18th, I will have 36 years. And I don't say that for the applause. I say that for the newcomer who's here and may think that is impossible. When I, I remember, before I came into AA, I had sober, I have cousins who are sober. They took me to an AA dance, and I was convinced everybody there may not be drinking, but they were high. So I, you know, I just, I find it just beyond my wildest dreams that I have managed, you know, with the help of AA and my higher power to stay sober this many years consecutively. Okay, like... It's, it's so hard, all day, like a reel was going through my head, remembering, you know, drinking days, early sobriety days, even sober days. So I hope I can help somebody tonight, and, um, and I pray that God organize my thoughts. My sponsor told me that. <laughs> my first drink was at age 14. Um, I grew up in, in White Plains in Westchester. I went to an all-girls Catholic school. I went to 12 years of Catholic school, but all-girls Catholic high school. So the first time I drank, it was um, before a dance. And we had planned to drink at this dance. But what I did was I went into my parents' liquor cabinet and drank out of a bottle before I even went to meet my friends. So that you know, speaks of alcoholism, even though I had no idea about alcoholism. Um, I went to the dance. I was drunk. Um, apparently, I invited all these boys over to where I was babysitting the next night. I mean, I blacked out. I blacked out. I threw up. I was wearing all white. I had grass stains all over me. My father picked me up. I, I think he was speechless. I remember he didn't say a word. I got home and 
I got in a lot of trouble. I got grounded, but I also had the worst hangover. So I was 14 years old, and you know, the whole that just hit so many characteristics of alcoholism that, you know, I was alcoholic from the very beginning. Um, but I felt, a, I have to put this water down here. I felt a sense of freedom that night because it just blocked out all the noise and I, you know, perceived that that was fun, but it was also like a feeling of freedom. So from then on, that's all I cared about. As an underage girl, you know, it was about how do I get to the bars, how do I get to the parties, you know, and that was all I cared about. I didn't really care about college or planning college. It was like, oh, I want to go to Florida for college because I want to go to the beach and, you know, and like it was all about the party. It was all about the boys. It was about, you know, I was a, I was a very selfish person and I didn't know it, but... Um, you know, I would make a date, and then as soon as a better date came along, I would drop that date. You know, I just really wreaked havoc in people's lives. And, um, you know, and I never stood still long enough to really feel anything or feel that guilt or remorse. I would just, you know, obsess about where is the next party. Um, so I loved all of that. I didn't really drink alone at home or anything. It was all very social drinking. I'll speed up to, um, you know, there are lots of stories, but what brought me into AA at such a young age, so I drank for 12 years, um, and it was just a lot of that. It was a lot of bars, blackouts, hangovers, boys, whatever. So then I met somebody when I was, um, you know, I kind of thought I might be an alcoholic. You know, it, it would be... I would go to, I don't know, like I would go out and then I would see the people a few days later and they would say, oh, you should have seen, oh, you were the girl in the pink dress, you know, you should have seen you. And, you know, and it, so I was starting to feel like shame and I was starting to feel um, twinges of like I had a drinking problem. But I met this man, I was 24, he was 42, I think. Uh, he, was a, he was a cocaine dealer and he owned a liquor store. And, and so, you know, <laughs> so my bottom began, right? <laughs> and I don't want to talk too much about him, but I'm just going to draw a little picture. So he had the big white Cadillac with the rotary phone in the middle on the console. Later on, he upgraded to, you know, a cell phone in a Jaguar, and the cell phone had, like, a battery that was, like, this big that he would have to carry on his bag, uh, in a bag. But... Um, you know, my drinking just took off to more, um, um, what do I say, just, you know, like, I mean, I drank all the time, but this was like another level, and I, I can't even explain it. Like, he, he, like, being in that relationship, I think, made me drink more, because I was so freaked out, and I knew what I was doing, and I knew it wasn't right, and he also had a wife. Um, at the time, so like, and then we were living in a, a hotel. I mean, it was crazy. I, you know, it was just really insane. But you know, and then I would wake up and realize, oh my God, I'm with this man and I can't get away. You know, and he had like the I don't know if anybody saw Boogie Nights, but he literally had the big long velour robe and he'd be up all night. So you know, 
I had to drink more just to like not deal with my reality, right? I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And yeah, I tried to break up with him, but like I never did. You know, I would just go right back. So in the meantime, you know, my friends are like, what are you doing, Deborah? You know, my parents were just like, they did not know what to say to me. Like they never could control me, so they kind of just, you know, let me be. Um, but you know, it was affecting my family. Um, if he couldn't find me, I remember he'd call my younger brother and say, uh, I don't know, where's your sister? And my brother would get so mad and he'd say, you know, if he calls one more time, I'm calling the feds on him. <laughs> I'm going to turn him in. Like, he, like I was wreaking havoc and he was, he was helping me. Um, and I was commuting at the time into the city. I was working in a law firm, bless you. Um, you know, and I, and you know, another part of my drinking, a big part of my drinking was um, the grandiosity of it all. You know, I wouldn't drink in an Irish bar. I would drink in the Hyatt, you know, by myself. Um, I'd, I'd just walk into these random places, the Waldorf, whatever, and, you know, <laughs> I'd drink like, I don't know, martinis, Remy Martins, you know, it was always top shelf. Stoli was a big one I drank. Um, you know, but then I'd get on the train to, to go back to Metro North, and it was just, I don't know. Like, my life was so unmanageable, so unmanageable. You know, I, I had a car. This was, like, I got pulled over by the police for drunk driving, and I would talk my way out of it. Like, I never got a D DWI, miraculously. Like, I had all these parking tickets I never paid. The registration was... Um, expired on my car, I would put snow over the sticker, driving around, like it was just, I could never catch up. But, but in this relationship, like that was really the end of my drinking. And it escalated everything and, you know, it was, it was really surreal. Um, and I was ashamed because I knew, like, he would, when he would always propose to me and I'd be like, I'm not marrying a cocaine dealer, like it's not happening. You know, I knew it was wrong. but. Um, so back to these cousins, um, I remember there were a few, you know, really dramatic instances and we were living in the city at the time and I called my cousin for help. And I was so resentful because they didn't come and get me and take me to a meeting. <laughs> they were just like, go to the mustard seed, you know, and that was in 1987 and I went to the mustard seed. It was like August of 1987 and I was so like you know, full of myself, I guess. So after the meeting, you know, they've been talking about kind of the us and them or we and, and the normal people. So I went up to the, um, the chairperson and I said, you know, AA might be a microcosm, but you have to blend into the macrocosm, you know. And I, I was just like arrogant like that, you know. And, and, <laughs> And like, I'm not making any of this up. There's like a lot more, but I want to like move along through recovery. So um, that was really the only time I tried to control my drinking because prior to that, like I never tried to control my drinking. Like why? Um, and, but, but I did have the blackouts and they were really scary and I would drive in blackouts and, um, you know, meet people in blackouts, all kinds of, you know, non, uh, you know, behavior that I would be proud of. So, um, so I tried to stop on my own and that lasted for like two weeks 
And so from then until February of 1987, I was aware. You know, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I shouldn't be drinking. And what started to happen was I couldn't hold my liquor toward the end. So it wasn't like I had this white light experience. It was like, okay, I had one stoli and I would black out. So my body was physically shutting down. And it was very scary to me. I knew alcoholism was in my family, but that was my powerlessness. You know, I couldn't debate that. It was like my body was telling me. And prior, you know, and all this time when I was, you know, in my real bottom, I was always popping into churches and lighting candles and praying. Like, I didn't, I was raised Catholic, but I wasn't really a practicing Catholic, but I was seeking God. And I was seeking help. And I was seeking, I, now I know, a spiritual solution. So the culmination of, um, you know, my last drink was a Heineken in the China Club. Um, I drove up to northern Westchester in a blackout. I woke up. I called AA. I remember the guy was really mean. I thought he was really mean. He was cranky. And, you know, like, I, do you want to get sober or not? Um, <laughs> like, seriously, that's what he said. But... Um, anyway, so I went to this meeting in Bedford Hills, and, uh, and, and you know, somebody brought me, somebody 12-stepped me. It was a real estate agent. So I went, to, uh, I went to the meeting, and I heard a man who was celebrating, maybe it was an anniversary meeting, but he said he had had, you know, this big corporate job, and like, this is what I heard. I don't know what he really said, but I heard big corporate job, corporate jet, you know, all this money, power, prestige. And in sobriety, he just like left it all and started his own business because that's what made him happy. So the message I took from that was courage. And you know, that is really what attracted me because I fancied myself to be fearless all the time, you know, but I could never feel the fear. So I thought I really was fearless. Um, but like that story just, I don't know, it just touched me. So I kept going. I think I drank, I drank one more time after that. That was the China Club drink. Um, but I came back and I got sober in, um, I was in, am I at 15 yet? No? Okay, thanks. Um, I was living up in Armonk at the time. So I was at uh, the Armonk group, Chappaqua, and Bedford Hills. So, you know, I... <laughs> I've always had a commitment issue, right? And they were pre pressing me to join a home group, so I had like these three little home groups. And, uh, and it was great. Like, the, I believe God had me where I needed to be because the women, a lot of the women didn't work. They had time. You know, they really embraced me. I had my two little friends I ran around with to meetings. Um, I had this sponsor who uh, was really tough. She wasn't my first sponsor, but... Um, you know, I, we had these beginners meetings where they would call on beginners and say, how was your day? So I was able to, you know, complain and, you know, whatever was happening. And it was crosstalk, but it was, it was constructive crosstalk. You know, the old timers would kind of give feedback and, and um, you know, kind of help us along. Um, I was still grandiose in the beginning. And, um, you know, I was like, what am I supposed to do on my wedding day? You know, I, and I, oh, and I was studying acting at the time, so that was so, this other thing that was going on in my life. So all I really cared about was, like, getting sober and moving to the city so I could pursue my acting career. 
but the sponsor really taught me um, she had a call time, 7 o'clock. She said, if you can't call me at 7 o'clock, your life is unmanageable. Um, <laughs> you know, back then we had answering machines, like the little tapes. So there was no texting. There was like a phone call. Um, she, I had bounced a check on her, I think, and so she started making me show her my checkbook because I was like, you know, writing checks, not recording them. You know, all this crazy unmanageability. Um, and, and I remember, thank you, the, the meeting where I sat, you know, because I knew I was powerless over alcohol. I knew my life had been unmanageable. But what I didn't know was my life was still <laughs> completely unmanageable as a newcomer. And I remember the moment, you know, when I, when I had that little awakening. Um, you know, I was in a meeting and I talked about it. Now, I was still living with the cocaine dealer who was allegedly not dealing at the time so you know but it was very uncomfortable for me to be in that house and he said he kept proposing and I'm like no <laughs> you know no major changes and uh, you know but but what I so my second step I, I distinctly remember this so he oh we had a beeper so that's another like in the 80s there were beepers um, so you know I beep him and he called me right back but he wasn't calling me back I was beeping him and he I don't know what was going on he wasn't calling me back and so I started getting jealous and assume and scared so I was starting to have feelings like fear jealousy and I'm like oh no this feels horrible you know and and I remember like he picked me up and I was convinced he was cheating on me and I like dramatically jumped out of the car ran into the woods you know I, I was praying but you know what that that was my moment when I had a second step experience because I knew like the insanity was so uh, like I could not handle it you know and I was praying so hard God restore me to sanity please restore me to sanity you know and I and that was the night I'm kind of jumping around but that was the night you know I got the second sponsor because the first <laughs> the first sponsor I never called so you know I surrendered is, is really what happened and then step three was really hard for me because I was so scared. I had like this idea, I'm going to have an acting career, and I was afraid that God wanted me to be um, a kindergarten teacher, which I, in hindsight, like, that's a great job, and I probably should have done that. But like, I was so terrified to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Um, but through some very painful experiences like like the breakup like I broke up with that guy and I moved out of the house we were living in and we were living like in a pretty nice house and I I left and I had no car because my car had been you know taken I wasn't paying the bills I had nothing and I rented a an apartment on Pleasant Avenue in Pleasantville and I would have to take the train I could walk to Metro North and I would have to take the train to meetings and you know, and then I would go into the city for my acting classes, and and but I was working up in Katona, and you know, it was it was the winter time. It was snowing. I remember walking up the hill to the meeting. It was snowing, and I'm like crying. You know, I was very dramatic as a newcomer. I was always crying, always upset, but I knew I'm going to any lengths. You know, and I started really listening to that sponsor. Like there was a guy who had a Corvette. He was like way older, and he would pick me up for meetings. She like stop taking rides from Bill. 
and Gary, uh, for that matter, you know, to stop it. And, and, you know, I started listening to her, and I was wearing, like, leggings, all these tight, sexy clothes to meetings. She's like, no, you're not doing that. You have to dress like a lady. And I was having, like, a crisis. I was shopping at Talbot's. I, like, I didn't know who I was. It was just really... <laughs> You know, but I did it. I did, I did what she told me to do. I did my fourth step. You know, third step was like this, I, I, I don't think there's enough time to go through all these, like, but it was another dramatic experience. You know, when I was waiting for the bus, it wasn't coming, I got furious, I had a tantrum, you know, and I almost stepped out into the sawmill parkway because I had to cross that to get over to the train station. And anyway, so, you know, I called my sponsor crying. She's like, now are you ready to like, let God be in charge. My fourth step, you know, I, like we didn't have the structure of AG, like I, I had completely different sponsorship up there, but um, you know, I wrote like, you know, a whole notebook full of stories and my, you know, I was really proud of like my manipulative um, gifts, I thought they were, because that was... <laughs> Like really, I got I got away with a lot, you know, and I I never should have, but like I just did. I I would talk my way out of things, and um, you know, so I thought, wow, I I God gave me a gift, you know, and so when I did my fifth step with her, she said, you know, the person you manipulated the most was yourself, and I will never forget that moment, you know, and it was like no more manipulating. You know, and learning to be honest, and and you know, six and seven, and taking the opposite actions, and oh my God, it was it was hard. You know, I was not you know I was not on a pink cloud, but I was willing to take the directions and willing to do what she asked of me. When I wrote my eighth step, I had all the boyfriends, like all the guys, like pages, and she said the way you're going to make amends to them is to stay out of their lives, and. <laughs> You know, I was really disappointed, but at the time, <laughs> there's still one I really need to make an amend to, and I cannot find him. And he was like the one I should have married. He was so nice. And I was like running around. I always had two boyfriends. Like, I was just doing all these things. So um, anyway, and like the ninth step, I was, my family was still in White Plains, and I had to do living amends to my parents. They didn't know half of what was going on, but, you know, I had to show up. And they were not supportive when I told them, how much time do I have? 10? Okay, thank you. Uh, when I told them I was in AA, they were not happy. Like, they took it personally, like they had failed or something. And um, so they were not like, oh, you know, great. You know, they were like, don't go to meetings in White Plains. Um, <laughs> literally, that's what they said to me. So. I don't know, you know, I find, so I want to speed it up. I, so I finally got to move to Manhattan after four years. I was four years sober, and I was kind of a big fish in a small pond up in northern Westchester. And I came down here, and I was, like, terrified. Like, I hadn't really felt the fear until I moved to Manhattan. And suddenly I was, like, I was scared. You know, there are a lot of beautiful people and smart people and just dynamic people and I was so scared but I took a service commitment at Regency and I was selling literature and I met a woman Maureen and she to this day is my best friend that was in 1990 so you know I met people through service I used to go to the workshop a lot um, you know the 10 p.m. it was fun in the 90s like it was fun and there were all these young people and you know and so I was trying to do everything um, 
I was supposed to do because I wanted God to give me what I wanted, which was a big break in an acting career. So coming, you know, so I did everything. I had I sponsored people. I did service. I did what my sponsor told me. I worked. I went to acting class, and coming up on my tenth anniversary, um, you know, I started to get mad at God because it wasn't happening, and I was still doing these little off-off Broadway plays, and like didn't have an agent. And, you know, it wasn't like this conscious decision, but I was getting angry at God, and I slowly was not praying, I was acting out, I had one boyfriend, he broke up with me, I got another boyfriend, then he came back, so I had two boyfriends, um, you know, living dishonestly, um, but I was the treasurer for Regency, and at that time it was a pretty big meeting, so that was the thread that kept me to AA. And my friend Maureen would help me because she was better at the you know, spreadsheets and stuff than I was. But, um, you know, but that kept me connected. And um, this is just someone, you'll have to ask me if you want to know the details, but I ended up going to um, the Karen Foundation. I ended up in the relapse unit of the rehab. I hadn't picked up. But like I was, I just knew I, I was so unmanageable. This is nine years sober. I thought I knew everything too. That was the other thing. Like I was playing God in my sponsee's life. I, you know, thought like I knew what step you should be working and you should be, you know, I had no humility and full of myself. So when I ended up in this rehab, um, you know, it was four relapsers and I found out after doing some work down there that like I did questionnaires and things, I was, I was like one step away from picking up. And I had no idea, like no idea. And I really, you know, because I was willing to just say, okay, I'll go, you know, because I learned that in the beginning, just like surrender, just do it. And my sobriety, like I would have relapsed had I not been down there. So I came home, I celebrated 10 years, and then I just took on this like, I need to stay in a beginner's mind. You know, I have no right micromanaging people's lives or, or being playing God. I'm a sponsor, but I'm not, you know, I'm not more than a guide, you know, a spiritual guide that God speaks through. So th that's just the way I sponsor. And, um, you know, I learned a lot, and it was very humbling, very humbling. Um, you know, and there's not enough time to get to all the rest, but just recently, the past few years, I've, you know, I've, I've shown up to my family. I have these beautiful five um, nieces and nephews that I love. I'm their godmother, two of them. I get to go to their games. I get to, like, you know, it's just, it brings me so much love and joy, and I'm so grateful. Five minutes, thank you. Um, I'm just so grateful that I can um, have this experience, you know, and I was walking over here and I, I was just thinking back and how my life is big and I've had so many experiences sober and my sober life is so much more interesting than my, than my drinking life and, you know, sometimes I forget and I focus on like I don't have the dream apartment or I don't have this or I don't have that and it's not true because we can always work and change and do, you know, make changes through the through the steps. Um, I did walk through, um, my father got very sick and he went into a facility and I would go visit him and show up and bring him pizza and like all this, bring my mom to visit him and he passed a couple of years ago and I was able to see him right before he passed, the day before, 
and, um, and, and then show up at his funeral and do the eulogy. You know, because I spoke in AA, I was able to do the eulogy without, you know, being scared. Um, and then this past year, my mom has advanced dementia, so I had to, uh, me and my brother had to, um, she's, in another, she's in a facility, and, you know, I wish I could say I could take care of her, but, like, I know my limitations. I, I know I'm not cut out to, and she needs professionals anyway, but I, I did what I could with her, and I go see her. So I try to, um, you know, still be a good daughter, and... Um, a good aunt and a good sister and a good friend and employee. Uh, you know, most of the time I'm a good employee. Sometimes I don't like being told what to do. Um, you know, and I'm working on it. I'm working on that. Um, and Atlantic Group, I just, you know, I came here and I was dragged here by some Al-Anon woman and uh, double winner. And I was like, oh no, I'm not doing this. Like, I don't want to think about what I have to wear before I go to a meeting. Like, I was so, you know, I had 20-something years and I was so, uh, you know, I was another bottom in, in a relationship. And so I came here and I didn't like it. Um, and I hope no one takes that personally. I just didn't like it. And... Um, and Stacy was my sponsor, and I would <laughs> I would call Stacy and you know say a lot of things. But um, <laughs> um, what is my point? Oh, so that was my willingness to go to any lengths because it was my second decade, and I was wobbly. I knew my sobriety was not strong, so I had to you know rebuild. And so I've been here, and I've grown to really love this group. And it's it's taken a while, but. Um, you know, I love it, and I love the people here, and and I'm so proud to be a member. Um, how much time do I have? Oh, two minutes. Okay. Um, let's see. I complain about my sponsor a lot because she's not always picking up the phone when I call, but... Um, you know what, I stick with her because she has a lot of wisdom, you know, and it doesn't go the way I would like it to go. We, I don't go to her apartment and hang out. I don't, you know, socialize with her. Not that I want to, but it's, uh, no, I, I don't mean it like that. Like, I was never, you know, raised in AA where I, whatever. I just kind of keep my sponsorship, you know, not in my social circle. That doesn't matter. It's just turned out that way. But anyway, so the relationship doesn't look like I would like it to look, but I stay in acceptance and I try to stay humble because when she drops the pearls of wisdom, like they are strong, thank you, pearls of wisdom. And I'm grateful that I have her as a you know, barometer. And she can, she'll tell me I'm controlling and I'll be like, really? You know, so... I still have my defects, um, you know, and, and I thought there was a finish line before that 10th anniversary, and there is no finish line in AA, um, and there's no, like, I have arrived either, and I'm, I'm really glad I learned that a long time ago, um, that there are, you know, I don't put people on a pedestal in AA, we're all, like, together here, and we're all, we all help each other, um, and I respect all of you. I just want to say that from here. Even though I may not like some people, I still respect the fact that they, <laughs> no, that they show up, you know, and, and I try to do principles of other personalities. This is a microcosm. It truly is. 
and there are all walks of life here. Thank you. And um, I'm just thrilled to be part of it. Thank you.